Welcome to the Don Pravda and Erica Gray Show, The Twist. Welcome to the Don Pravda and Erica Gray Show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, and this is Don Pravda speaking. And thank you for your time, and thank you for your energy, and for your listening. Yes, and tonight's going to be a little unusual show. I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, Zelensky looks like G.I. Joe. Did you notice that, Don? Zelensky looking a little tired. However, as an actor, he understands that when you get on the set early, you may very well be a little weary, but then you have to pull yourself together deliver the lines, look into the camera, and make them laugh. So he's doing the same thing now. He's looking into the camera. He's got a lot of fans out there. He's not making anyone laugh. Well, he's he's making, uh, he's very cagey. He's getting the world to be on his side. And I have to say, he's laughing these days. He might be a little tired, but he's laughing because he's got a lot of new friends. And the friends are piling on more and more each day with sympathy for his nation and his cause. I think he's a master manipulator. And what he's doing is he's playing on public opinion about Ukraine. And everybody he goes to, he wants the bank. I mean, he wants them to take him into NATO. He expected the European Union to sign Ukraine on it. And he's wanting armies to come in there and fight. He's almost bullying the nations. He's bullying Israel. He's bullying everybody. And he looks like G.I. Joe. Well, well, Mr. G.I. Joe, I'm going to tell you what I'd like to buy. I want to buy that short sleeve shirt that he's wearing every day in each broadcast. Unless I'm mistaken, to me it looks like the same shirt every time. I'm really wondering, though, I have the impression that it is going to the laundry and then it it is sent back to him. Seems like the same shirt. I'd have to say I've had those kinds of trim beards for a while, but I don't know. It doesn't look too good to me. Maybe he would consider shaving growing his hair a little longer. Yeah, he's got that point thing going on. Yeah, that point thing, that point thing going on. And uh, he's he's becoming an icon with that look, with the beard and the the shirt which, that never changes. Which, which I never want. I off. want that shirt, Vladimir. But it probably stinks. He's probably never. And I want it now. It and then I'm thinking, upon getting that shirt, that short sleeve shirt, which I've never seen a premier in the world wear in my lifetime, uh, I think maybe I'm going to run for office after I get that shirt. And maybe change my first name to Valdemir. Well, maybe we'll get you a special shirt. Okay. Maybe one of those. Special shirt. Uh, maybe one of those tank tops. Right. I could. Uh, that men wear for underwear. That would be good to go out and talk about how your nation needs money in, is, right? Is, maybe that's the. Uh, or weapons. Kind of more like the Russian gangster look. You know, the tank top. Uh, <laughs> there, there's a lot of characters in Russia. I got. It's an interesting country. It's got yeah, and talk quite about a history. What's what happened to Vlad? What happened to his cheeks and his yeah. nose? It looks like He's somebody inflated his nose. Getting a little heavier, all that pressure. I don't know. Does he drink vodka or is he sober or what is he thinking, Erica? Mr. Putin. Oh, there, he's pretty upset. Apparently, upset. Yeah. Ukraine put forth, wants, a, wants talks and wants an agreement, but then went against whatever they voiced when the actual agreement was presented 
it was missing pieces deliberately. Hey, how about the fact that Zelensky fired, didn't he fire all the journalists? What's the story with that, Don? Well, my information is as follows. Oh, no, I'm sorry, the political party. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of another potential dictator. opposition political parties in the Ukraine have been dismissed. So therefore, there's one party with one voice. Uh, The enemies have been eliminated. Does this sound a little bit like the other Russia that we've heard about? So we've got a gentleman with a trim beard, Black hair, Wears the short same sleeve shirt, shirt every single day. He's definitely in charge. Uh, I haven't heard anything about a vice president. Hear very little about, in fact, his cabinet, and his opposition is gone. So this is going to be very interesting. And let's hope this is going to be a short war because a long war, besides the death, casualties, the destruction, there's going to be a worldwide downturn in the economy. And, well, we, and we want. We want peace in that region. We don't want You're war. You're not going to have peace. To... The U.S. wants to prolong this war because of the money. At the end of the day, I don't listen to any of the rhetoric of it's a democracy, it wants its own this, it's a violation. It's all rhetoric. At the end of the day, this is about money and lots of it. European Union wants to hold on to Ukraine because who wouldn't want to bolster their economy by 40 million more people and the wheat deals that come out of Ukraine? Can you imagine how that would boost the European Union's GDP? So of course they're not going to want to let go. They're going to fight to the death. And the U.S. is going to fight to the death. And they're backing you, probably giving Zelensky tons of money to stay strong, keep this position, keep this war going. This is a major land grab. I'm sorry, Don, whether I'm agreed with or not. And I think the tragedy of this is that the casualties, the hypocrisy of the casualties, the, the horrific pictures of people dying, but the United States is egging on Zelensky, keeping this thing going, sending weapons. The European Union is sending weapons. Everybody is keeping this going. Nobody will go to the negotiating table with anything that makes sense to Russia. And at the end of the day, Ukraine is a strategic asset for Russia, not for the United States. And I think it's just all about money. We're selling tons of LNG gas right now. Yes. May America have its own resources and use them. That's what I have to say. Why do we have to continue to buy these exports? Why do we have to make Russia rich? Let's take care of business right here in the USA. We've got a real interesting phenomenon, though, happening, Don. Never before in history have we seen empires, and we're in the age of empires. This is a multipolar geopolitical world. It's a multipolar lineup with empires. We see India now also a strong empire that is not going to toe the line with Europe, but yet Europe in the France 24 broadcast, we saw the editor talk about how India needs to 
toe the line and follow suit with the rest of the Western world when India is going to follow its own interests. But we see this bullying going on in the globe and the media is actually being used. What's happening to Russia is really scary. To totally crush your opponent like that economically, that can happen to the United States. That This could be done against us in the future. And also it could be done against individuals when money is now used as a weapon. What's your thoughts, Mr. Pravda? Money is used as a weapon. Well, I am not for destroying Russia. I don't see any purpose in that. One of these days, this conflict will be over. Then... They'll go back to Moscow. We'll have to deal with Mr. Putin or, in fact, somewhat of a new government. And we have to get along. We have a lot at stake in this world. And the parties should come together. The forces coming together with the United States, UK, the Russias, and make a better world. How about making something special after this conflict? I don't think that's possible Mm -hmm. because... We're in the end times, and um, I know I don't usually bring that into this show. That's my other podcast. We're in the end times, and it speaks about nation rising against nation and the difficulties that will exist within society because of people and the self-serving of individuals will just be looking out for themselves, not looking out for their neighbor, for their family members, everybody out for themselves. And we see this now, even in the dynamics of geopolitics with the nations, every nation right now just out for themselves. Because again, at the end of the day, this is all about money and strengthening empires through what Ukraine offers. Well done, Erica. Well said. Well said. However, this is a very, very troubled time, this generation. We don't want nuclear weapons to be sailing around the world. We want to have a point-by-point peace accord that is fair for both countries. We want the nations to respect the sovereignty of the Ukraine. We want a global economy. We want to see the, the wheat from the Ukraine go into the hands of the nations that require it and pay them a good price. How about that? We need to get back to normalcy. The world is on edge. The parties must come together, like to see more information from the United Nations, don't hear much about how they would like to resolve these issues. And we hear very little about the parliaments from the different nations, what they have to say, who has ideas to end this war, what does the near future hold, and what are your thoughts, Miss Erica? Well, you just <laughs> asked the magic question, and you couldn't have asked something better. What do the parliaments of the world yes. have to say? Well, I'm going to read to you what was just issued on April 3rd in Brussels, issued to the president of the European Council, European Commission, and the high representative. And what they're asking for because of the war in Ukraine is 
for an immediate. Now, this is a major parliament. So you're asking, what are the parliaments doing? This is the European Union Parliament. And what they are asking for is an immediate meeting, a special European Council to impose a full oil, gas, and coal embargo, a closure of all ports to Russian vessels and goods, a full disconnection of all Russian banks from SWIFT, an extension of the sanctions lift of Russian oligarchs, officials, and civil servants based on the names provided by the foundation of Alexei Navalny. And this numbers 6,000. This is a number of 6,000 to be sanctioned. They stated that there is an urgent need to send more weaponry and military equipment, including tanks, armored vehicles, heavy artillery, anti-ship missiles, and more sophisticated anti-aircraft protection systems. Besides these efforts, they would like the European Union to make full use of the financing for this purpose. And the end of their letter, Don, stated, as Europeans, we always say never again after the 20th century genocides on our continent Do we mean those words? This is our reckoning. And this was signed by the various leaders and various members of the leading political groups within the European Union Parliament. So what do you think, Don, when you hear that they want to send armored vehicles, heavy artillery, anti-ship missiles? Did you think that the European Union was such an entity to not only have this equipment, but send it to a country? We, We know the member states each have a military, but did you realize that the EU actually has this political and military dimension? Well, now they do, and this is their entree into the theater of war, and they're not going away. They'll be part of future conflicts. And in fact, I am certain they intend to reflect upon these skirmishes and try and reach an accord. They're power players now. They're in the theater of conflict and they're not going away. The EU is staying forever. Well, I think that what's been happening is Europe has been building its army. The 2009 Treaty of Lisbon made the provision, one of the articles deals with the PESCO, which is the Permanent Structured Cooperation, and it enlists 23 members in the European Union, and they have been building the infrastructure for their army since the Treaty of Lisbon, and it actually already exists. It just needs the completion of what's called their strategic compass, which puts boots on the ground, but It's really hair-raising when you read that and you realize that what the world has thought is just an economic grouping isn't an economic grouping. It's more than that. It's political. And it's now self-proclaimed geopolitical. In addition to that, it also now this monolithic empire of about close to a half a billion citizens is now going to have this military 
dimension. And it's another player. It's another player. They're already writing rules that other nations have to abide by. If we don't or they don't, they don't get to trade with the empire. That accounts for a good deal of world GDP. So this is a totally different world we're now in, Don. And where do you think Israel is in? Israel What's Israel's place in can this be world? a major player to negotiate this settlement between Russia and Ukraine. Wouldn't even surprise me if the players came to Israel and negotiated with, in fact, Mr. Bennett being at the table. But when you come right down to it, Israel is the prize. Israel is going to be on the world stage. Israel is the drama. Israel is the prize. You're right. Every empire wants to be that empire that's going to have some sort of dominion, relationship, a close relationship with Israel. You're right. Israel is the prize. Israel is the light. The nations of the world are seeking it. They want their taste of Israel. And Israel, with their great strength and intellect, their ability also is a player in that many Jewish people have left recently the Ukraine And we can say thank God to that. They are safe in Israel now. In addition, there's a lot of Russian Jews. They're thinking of leaving at this time. And the number one nation is probably Israel. So we've got Jewish people in the Ukraine and Russia, and they have Israel in their mind. They're thinking about departing now. It's a very unhappy time in that part of the world. And in fact, many of these folks have relatives and friends and ties to Israel. And Israel's air force has planes in the Ukraine and may the lucky people board them and leave the country and give Israel credit for their efforts in trying to bring out the people who want to leave the former Soviet Union and the Ukraine. Interesting how you stated about Israel being mediator. Now there's even talk of India acting as mediator in the conflict. But the Times of Israel reported just a couple of days ago that Lapid explicitly accused Russia of war crimes. It was a first for a top Israeli official. The article states that while Bennett expressed shock over the atrocities, it did not name Moscow. So what is your opinion on Lapid coming out now and making this statement, kind of tipping the neutrality of Israel more towards the U.S. and European Union's stand versus its more neutral stand? What's your thoughts on Lapid's comment? It's a very sensitive matter because relationships with the largest country in the world, which is Russia, is very sensitive. There's a lot of Jewish people in Russia. There's a lot of business ties between Russia and Israel. There's an exchange going on every day. There's television shows. They have different players and broadcasters and actors in Russia and Israel and the Ukraine. And Israel is bracing, in fact, for a lot of new immigrants right now. And so, Mr. Lapid, the world's changing, buddy. Well, it's <laughs> interesting that you would talk about Russia and these normal relations and activities that are going on in Russia because the West, meaning the U.S. and the European Union, have really portrayed Russia and Russians as subhuman. You know that. They're they're portrayed as subhuman, 
They must be blotted out of the world, blotted out of the world economy. Forget the fact that the U.S. has been responsible for a good number of wars and its own atrocities since the end of the Cold War, but you also have many other nations that have partaken in wars and atrocities, but they have not been blotted out of the world economic system. They've not been treated as subhuman. And in my opinion, when it came to certain groups like ISIS, they should have been treated that way. And it's it's mind-boggling that this kind of attitude is going on, that this kind of behavior is going on on the part of the world empires. Not all of the empires, it's been mostly the European Union and the U.S., but the U.S. is really taking the lead in this anti-Russia, all that is Russian. Even as I was in Connecticut, you even have signs people are now posting, we're standing with Ukraine. I can't help but wonder, why just Ukraine? Why not stand with the people of other conflicts? Why just Ukraine? Why is Ukraine so unique that other nations that have conflicts and that have had atrocities and wars, those nations would be ignored, but not Ukraine? What's your thoughts on that? Well, it just seems to me if there was a major conflict in Benin, which there generally is, the world doesn't seem to flock to Benin say, we've got to send MiGs to Benin. We've got to help the people fight against the government. It's just we have a rather selective philosophy of life. We have agreements, we have alliances. However, the Ukraine is not of any particular great importance to the United States of America. And it's, of course, has the attention because it's been invaded by a major empire. Well, then the United States, we just reached out and Blinken met with Algeria, a nation also non-democratic that has had been responsible for a good deal of its own atrocities. And I remember reading about some horrific Terrific, brutal murders that were taking place on the part of the government probably about 15 years ago or so and totally was ignored by the media. And reading about just the brutal, senseless acts of violence beheadings, things of that nature, torture. And I think the thing that's just mind-boggling to me about Ukraine is it seems that the nations are acting as if no other war has taken place, no other nation has been responsible for war, and like Ukraine is the first war of our entire lifetime. Do you kind of get that feeling that Ukraine is being treated like it's the only war that's ever existed? It's the, uh, it's, it's the new darling of war. President Clinton did express that uh, one of the greatest failures of his government at the time was the massacre that did occur in Rwanda, which was a horrific catastrophe. We don't want genocide, which is what this war is being called. We don't want catastrophe. We need negotiations. Well, that's it. The point is that what should be taking place is negotiations. But you have the United States that doesn't want that negotiation. You have the European Union that doesn't want that negotiation. Because if they wanted that negotiation, they would be trying to really get Zelensky 
Zelensky to sit down at the table and make real concessions. Instead, they're sending arms so that he fights Putin and fights Russia. There's something wrong with this picture. There's something really wrong with it. And then you find a proposal is put forward, but pieces are kept out of it, of what's originally verbally agreed. So then there can't be a negotiation. So Don, this is starting to look like it's a conflict that's going to keep continuing and Russia's going to be continue to be sanctioned. And interestingly enough, despite the sanctions, the ruble was the top performing currency. In addition, you now have Vladimir Putin stating that he's going to start doing something with the food supply. So we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Who knows what's going to come down the pike? Who knows is right. Who knows? You know something? Have we heard anything from South America about this conflict? Do you hear anything from Brazil about this conflict? Costa Rica? Honduras? Does anybody's opinion matter? Well, you know that the U.S. dominates the world. We call the shots. We're the world's policemen. So I guess we'll be talking about this, Don, for some time to come. But it's time now to say goodbye to our listeners. Say goodnight, and I hope the next time you hear our voices, we'll have better news for you. Yes, folks. And until next time, God bless. And thank you. Tune in next time for more from Don Provder and Erica Gray for their twist on world news.